Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) How's everybody doing? Good. Um, If you would, just uh, allow me to pray this uh, part of Scripture over us today as we get into God's Word. Uh, We'll be in James chapter 4, but I'm going to read this, uh, uh, pray this uh, Scripture in Ephesians chapter 1, starting with uh, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Father, I just pray that we be able to hear this today from you, that you would give us, God, what we cannot obtain and do on our own, that you would go before us and allow us to see and hear, to be able to experience another miracle, you, God, in our lives this morning, in Jesus' name. So we're in James chapter 4, and the big overarching uh, story or point here with James is that it's a conflict. It's church conflict. Um, right away, James 4, at the very beginning, verse 1 says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights? Obviously, what causes a conflict among you? So James poses this question, and he's talking to believers. He's talking to uh, the church. This is, a, this is a, a letter that's written to the church. This is an epistle One of the very, it is the very first epistle that ever reached the very first church that was established. And he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? We can see through the book of James, very from from the very beginning, where he really hones in and talks a lot about language and and, and our tongue and and being wise and and, and, uh, this fighting and these wars and these quarrels and and how we treat one another and he's going to hone in again here and i'd like to title this a teaching today the gospel and conflict so what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you first of all there's both good news and bad news in this verse uh the 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 next set of uh, three verses but there's both good news and bad news here First off, the bad news is that we have this fallen nature, sinful nature. That's the bad news. In other words, there's something bad inside of us. There's something messed up inside of us, part of us, right? Before Christ, we came, uh, and before Christ came into our lives, he gave us, and before he gave us a new heart and a new nature, up until that point, up until that moment to where we became believers, we did not care about what God thought about us. We did not care and how we were to sin against God. It did not matter to us. 
We were unable to uh, see, and that's what the Bible says, we were blind, right? We were darkened in our mind and darkened in our understanding because sin blinds and sin darkens. It just didn't matter. Now, there was a war that was in us. There was no war that was in us, actually, at that moment. There was no conflict of, man, I just did something and it really offended God. It really was a sin against God. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, talks about this, and it talks about the works of the flesh. This is that sinful nature. That sinful nature we received whenever uh, we were born, because we were born with that sinful nature that was passed from Adam and, and, uh, and to all men. And so we find here in Galatians, it spells it out. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why does it say that no one will enter the kingdom of God if they've done these things? Because most of us in this room have been guilty for one of these or many of these or all of these. It says the reason why they will not, we will not enter the kingdom of God or someone will not enter the kingdom of God is because they have no awareness that they've even done these things. They make a practice. It's a daily lifestyle. It does not bother them. They have no conscience in them. They, they approve of these things. They um, are unable to even feel the pain of their sin or know or be aware of the sin. It says those are practical things. That's the flesh. That's that part that is sinful that we were born with. Here's the good news. The good news is that we have that battle going on. That's why it says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There's a war going on inside, and that's actually good news. And the reason why that it's good news is that it's there. Again, when you're in a dead state, when you're in a place where you're totally blind and, and, and unregenerated, in other words, there's not a new life and a new heart inside of you, there's no, there's no conflict, there is no war. So this is good news that there's a war going on. And it means that Christ has come into you and you have a new nature and a new heart. And with that new nature and that new heart, it brings new desires. And these desires are in line with God because these desires actually come from God. And what happens is there's this battle going on, and it's God's spirit, and it's our old nature. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, spells this out very, very clearly. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. What does it say? It says, for the desires of the flesh, that's what we just talked about, flesh in, in Galatians 5, 19, are against the spirit. What spirit is this? It's the spirit of God. It's the new nature. It's the divine nature. It all works together. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So there's a battle there. And for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there's a battle going on. The reality is that the fight that goes on in you will continue until the day Christ comes and takes you home. Or he comes second coming or he takes you home the beautiful news is that though you fight day by day though 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 there's a battle going on day by day the war has already been won 
And this is God's promise to also not just save us and then transform. That's that battle, that sanctification process, but also that he will glorify us. Just the same way God saved you, he will also glorify you in the end. In other words, it's all God's doing all the time. In other words, this fight you have every day will end with having a glorified state. And that is without that sinful nature, without that bad part, it will cease to exist. That's a promise. The New Living Translation says in Philippians 1.6, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This is really, really good news today. This is really, really good news right now. And there are some of you here, including myself, that really need to hear this. We really do need to hear what we're hearing in Philippians, that we are certain that God who began a good work within you, this is God's work in us. This is God doing this in us. This is so important because it's God working and not us. It's God accomplishing and not us. He says he just didn't do a good work in saving you and leaving you there that you now come to understand that there is a God and that he loved you and he died for you, but that he will continue his work in us. Because there are times that we come to in our life where we feel sometimes hopeless. We feel like whatever struggle or problem or sin or, or conflict in our way, our battle is too big. It seems like it'll never change and nothing will ever happen. It'll always be this way to the point that we may even question whether we are saved, whether God really did come into our lives. And we have to remember that this is a continual process and that it's not our work in the beginning, it's not our work now, but it's God will continue until it is finally finished. We don't come away from church this morning and hearing these scriptures thinking that there's something that we're going to go out and do and make happen. Because we know 100% of 100% of the times that we have what? Failed at that. But that we leave here knowing and believing that he that began the good work is continuing to do the good work without us. Or you can say beyond us. Even when we give up, even when we fail, even when we have no faith, he, be, he continues to work because it's a part from us. It's not something that we can do ourselves. And he says when he's finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus returns. That's good news. James wants to make it clear, real clear. He does not want to sugarcoat the situation and what comes from our sinful desires, the flesh, the evil nature. At first, in verse 1, we are th we're thinking, oh, that's just a little disagreement, a little scuffle, you know, a little no big deal, right? No, G James is saying, these little desires that you have and want to pretend are as negative thoughts, a bad day, an irritation, maybe do a little self-improvement, can end up in murder. Likes, what does that mean? The next Verses James is going to expose that if our desires minus the gospel, then it works out exact, the exact opposite of the gospel. Verse 2 says in James chapter 4, Your desire, you desire and do not have. 
just a desire, do not have. Not getting what you want, not getting what I want. So you murder, holy smokes. How do we go from zero to 100 while he's there? (laughs) That's definitely a characteristic of James. But he was the half-brother of Jesus, so I think he knows what he's talking about. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Two outcomes of the gospel, not the only outcomes, but these are two outcomes of the gospel when it comes to relationship aspect, is unity with God and unity with others. Those are two aspects, two outcomes. I'm sorry, not two aspects, two outcomes. Is unity with God, right? Love God with all your heart. Unity with others. Love your neighbor. Now, loving God is not the gospel. The gospel is what God did for us, but the, what comes out of the gospel is this love for God, is this unity with God, all right? James is saying that the desire unchecked, the outcome is death. A desire unchecked by God, the, the outcome is death. It brings murder. It kills the opposite of what God does through the gospel, which brings life. The reason it does is that it is because the desire you have is what is important, not God and not the person. The desires that we have sometimes are just desires, but they're not for God sometimes, and they're not for someone else. It's not a gospel desire, which is to give life, to have unity with God, and to have unity with others. See, when it comes to murder, it takes someone away. It separates. And that's the exact opposite of the gospel. The curse of sin, sin brought separation between us and God and even us and others. That's what it brought. You do not have because you do not ask. So this next part that James is going to say in the next scripture, I believe starts with part of verse 2, and this is just my own opinion. I'm not saying it's exactly what it is. But he starts off by saying, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So you have a desire, and it may not be wrong. doesn't mean all desires are wrong. But when we don't bring it to God in prayer and ask with an open heart to what is it that God wants when it comes to my desire? We don't, fulf- we don't receive the fulfillment of that desire, and there's wrong intention with that desire because it's about our passions. It's about what we want alone, and there's no room for God. And that's what the uh, end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3 says. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive. And because you ask wrongly, you spend it on your passions. See, God is not someone who wants to withhold from us fulfillment. He's not saying it's wrong to have passions or desires at all. But what he wants is he wants us to have ultimate fulfillment. I don't know if you, some of you as parents at times have seen that your kid wants something so bad. But you can see that if they get what they want, it could hurt them, right? Whether it's staying out a little too late or it's doing something with a certain friend or it's having so much 
of something that it, that it actually causes maybe an addiction, maybe causes them to, to lose sleep or health. And you can see it, and you, and you want them to, to be happy, you want them to be fulfilled, but at the end of the day, you know that that's not ultimate fulfillment for them. Matter of fact, it could even hurt them. Somewhat like that, God wants ultimate fulfillment for us, and that's Him. He wants us to, wants to fulfill our desires Himself. Not whatever it is that will not fulfill us, but He Himself. Because He knows that is what would make you most happy, and that would bring him most glory. See, James is talking about conflict in the church. He's getting to, he's getting to the root of it. The reason James is so adamant about this is because there's two things that the gospel makes possible. It makes it possible to love God and have a relationship with God, and it makes possible to love others and have a relationship with others. Conflict in the church not handled through the belief in the gospel will bring about the opposite. It will actually be against the gospel, work in the exact opposite direction. The gospel addresses three things, that we have sinned, that Christ dies to forgive us of our sins, and that he gives us new life. The first thing is that we've missed the mark. This is, uh, this is going to tie together in a minute when we talk about an actual conflict, but keep tracking me with here and really focus in on these things that the gospel addresses. The first thing is that we have missed the mark. That's what sin means. It means just to be a little off. You're shooting an archer, shooting an arrow, and he misses the bullseye just by a little bit. And that's what the gospel says. No, there's not one that is perfect, that we're all guilty of sin, that we have a fallen sinful nature and affects every part of our lives. The second thing is that the gospel is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We can't live a perfect life. Christ lived the perfect life. We can't die on a cross to pay for our sins. It has to be a sinless death. Christ died a sinless death on the cross for us. We can't raise ourselves from the dead by all means, but Christ rose from the dead for us. Do you get the picture? Do you see these aspects? So when it comes to the conflict with another believer, it will be a, to allow the gospel to address us in the same way with the hope of the same two outcomes that we talked about, that love and unity with God and that love for one another, unity with one another. So the conflict is there. Very first thing, what does the gospel address? I am a sinner. I need God. Second thing, I need God to do what I can't do. In order for me to enter this conflict with whoever it is that is a believer, I need to come to that place to be able, I need God to reveal to me first, by faith, the same thing he did when I came to him, right? When he came into my life and all of a sudden I was able to see and hear and listen and know that I've sinned. He did his work placing a new spirit in me. Again, the revelation that I am a sinner, that I could be off here. 
Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Starts off with, judge not. If there's anyone here today that is perfect in this church, go ahead and judge. But there ain't no one here that's perfect. <laughs> judge not that you may not be judged. These are, this is what Jesus says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in other words, everything that you have that you're going to measure someone with, you've got to be able to measure up in that same way. And I don't know about you, but there ain't no one here that can measure up. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Again, that I am a sinner. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log that is in your eye and your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly that to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So being able to recognize what we recognize at the time that Christ came into our life, that we fall short and we miss the mark. Asking God to show your log, if there is one, show you the intention of your desires. If it is all good, if all of your intentions are good, just be aware, you still miss the mark. So that way, in the conflict, even if you have a just desire and a right reason for, you know, addressing an issue, just know that there is a sinful nature at work, even in your good intention, because there is good intentions that God gives us. The other thing is, knowing that you missed the mark and that you're a sinner, know that they missed the mark and they're a sinner too. Doesn't sound too promising, two sinners coming together to deal with stuff at all. But the gospel, right? Of course you thought I was going to say that. <laughs> Second is, we need God to do for us what we can. We need God to do for us what we cannot do. If your brother sins against you, this is uh, Matthew 7, I believe it's a 7. I don't know which Matthew it is. What did I say it was? Yeah, Matthew 7, 15. Are we on that one yet? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. This is actually Matthew 18. Go and tell him your, uh, his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you, that every change, I mean every charge, may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I'm going to read this next verse, then I'm going to come back to this. This is Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression... That means if they're in sin or they've done something wrong or there's a problem there, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So important to come with gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves lest you too be tempted. Again, knowing that you have a log, knowing that you're a sinner, knowing that you missed the mark will keep you from doing the very same thing that you're going to talk to him about. 
bear one another's burdens. In other words, sometimes there are burdens that are, that are heavy. Uh, a burden is something someone cannot carry by themselves. Versus a knapsack is like a backpack. A boulder is a burden. So sometimes, you know, someone just went through a loss of a loved one or someone lost a job or, you know, they're in uh, maybe some type of addiction. It's a burden they cannot carry versus getting up and brushing their teeth and they're physically capable of doing, right? So those are difference. That's the difference between those. It says, bear one another's burden so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Going back to verse uh, uh, Matthew 18, here's the conflict. There's something that's going on, and you need to talk to whoever it is that is a believer. You go to them, and you go to them alone. And you go to them alone with this gospel understanding in mind that first of all, I am a sinner and that I make mistakes and that I'm just as guilty for all the above. And second, that I need Jesus to come into this conversation and do for me what I can't do and do for them what they cannot do. It is impossible for anyone at all to come to the realization of their mistake or their sin or their pain or their hurt or their whatever they've done to you or whatever they're doing to themselves or whatever they're doing to the church there's no way apart from Christ no way people can admit something to get you off their back they can make a behavior modification to make it look good and make themselves feel good, but they'll return to it over and over again. There'll be, it will not last. It is so important that God is at work here. And that's why Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go to them and tell him his fault. And it's not saying like, go to them and tell him, look, you're messed up and this is what's wrong. No, it's go to them and see, to see where there is a conflict where there is a hurt, where there's, there is a falling short, but make sure that you tell him that you fall short all the time. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The only way he'll be able to listen is because God's going to do something that we cannot do for ourselves. It's important to go to them first alone, and the reason why them first alone is because anything else would be gossip. Not talking to the person but talking about the person would be gossip. And many times when it's just, be, you know, you're the only one affected, that's just you, again, that's just you, you and them. Because the purpose is not to embarrass them by taking some few other people to, the purpose of actually going and getting a couple others if they don't listen to you, is to, it really the real purpose is getting someone that also has relationship, that also knows they're broken, and that is also going to depend on the gospel with you to talk to them, to go to them, and to point these things out. You're basically trying to get their best buddy to come along and say, hey, we've got to help them out. And then when that doesn't happen, then we have to bring it to the place of the church leadership and sometimes publicly to all the church in very rare but very, very uh, severe circumstances like when there is maybe uh, a physical abuse or a, or a threat or a danger to the church. Uh, in that sense so the first thing is you and them and then others to come alongside you with 
the purpose, again, for them to listen. You've restored your brother. The, the whole purpose of dealing with these conflicts and this desire that's within you should always have the big outlook of bringing life to that person, of bringing unity with them and God and unity or restoration with them and God and restoration with them and others, maybe them and yourself. So when we want the same outcome for whoever it is that we have conflict with, and for there to be that unity, then your desire is good. Another way to test your intention if your desire is good is this. If you're already ready to divide without even having a conversation and just leave that relationship, in other words, disunity, when you have not even talked to the person or dealt with the situation, that's when we know our, our desire is not a gospel desire. And that's what James is talking about. That's what he talks about. Like he points it straight to murder because there's anger there. In other words, there's separation. The good news is, is that Jesus, even when we do have that feeling like, I just want to get out, I just want to, this is over, I just want this to be done with, right? Because it's not comfortable when we're in those situations. It's not easy. And, and again, the, it's not easy, meaning that we need Jesus to help us. We can't do it on our own. The good news is that Jesus already had the right desire for us. He had a gospel desire for you. So even when you fall, he works on your behalf. Even when you fail, even when you have the wrong desire, he works on your behalf. This is not something that you can just go do. It's something that we have to we need to believe. Ask God, help me to believe the truth. That even if the conflict goes worse, even if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, even if I end up more hurt, I have everything I need in you, and you've already done everything, which is your son on the cross. You've paid the ultimate price. And that I trust that you will work, if it's not today, tomorrow, or if at the end, you will restore. Help me to believe that. So I don't go in with this, I need to be just, I need to be right, I need to be recognized, I need to be heard. I, and, and it's important to be heard, and it's important for there to be justice, or it's important for their things to be made right. That, that's what we want, but it's not that you demand that. Again, a desire that's your desire that's, that runs right over the person and murders them, basically. You are in my way of getting peace and joy and making things work out or being heard or being right or being understood. It's something that God does in us through the gospel. When it comes to the other person, it's the same thing. God is the one that does the work. We cannot make someone realize. We cannot make someone realize. Because at that point, it's about getting what we want. Is it more important to you that you would be united or be right? Would it be more important to you to be united or to be right? And I know there's tons of different conflicts and, and there's different, like, 
so many different avenues and sides to this. Like, this is, I'm trying not to do a one-side-fits-all. So being right might not even be the point. You know, it might be just heard. You know, that's all you want is to be heard. Uh, um, maybe there's an actual action that needs to stop, something that's being done that's wrong, that's hurtful and sinful. It needs to, needs to stop, yes. The battle from within, the desire that we have that war are because we are ignorant of the experience we have in the love of God. So this battle that goes on inside of us sometimes because we're, and I say ignorant not in a negative sense, I'm saying we literally do not know or have not experienced or are not experiencing the love that God has for us. That he's much better, he satisfies so much more, and he feels and he gives so much more joy. So, you experience something negative in the church. I'm going to go maybe a little bit more everyday stuff. When you don't like something in the church, the way things are done in the church, during the gathering, like the music, the order of service, children's ministry, maybe the structure, maybe the administration, maybe the values, maybe the doctrines. At first, there's nothing wrong with not liking something. It's okay for you not to like certain things a certain way. This is what makes us diverse, and actually this is what makes it beautiful. Because sometimes through your dislike, you have a better idea, another way of doing things that makes it even better. I mean, look at the seats that are set up a different way. Someone obviously didn't like the way the seats were the other way. And if we look at that as just being bad and wrong and negative and run away from it and not be honest and not be truthful, then we would never have the seats today like it is. And to me, it feels better, right? Who knows? Second, it does not mean something is wrong in, with the church. Just because the seats were the other way doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because you didn't like it. That's important to notice that. But don't deny it. Talk to God about it. Ask God to give you gospel desires. Ask yourself, is it something that you can overlook? Is it something you can live with? Is it not that big of a deal? Or is this the Holy Spirit saying, hey, we got to change the seats the other way. And it's a beautiful blessing to everyone. Don't deny sometimes our desire. Just because it's a desire, just because of discomfort, don't deny it. Be honest. Go to the, and why, the reason why we can be honest is we're already loved and accepted. We've already been forgiven. So there's no shame when so, someone says, hey, this might be better to the one that set it up. Last week, someone set it up, the chair's straight. That person, it's okay that someone else has set it up different. Ask yourself if it's something that you can overlook. Go to the person that may be in charge of that part of the church. You and them. And just say, hey, I was noticing this about, you know, blah, 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 this and that. Hey, you know, just... Here's an idea, you know, what, have you thought about this? This might work a different way. That's Matthew 18, going to the person. Obviously, it's not a sin that's going on. It's just a like and dislike. The gospel deals with the greatest conflict we will ever have, the conflict that is between us and God. So if God dealt with the greatest conflict, we could definitely deal with these. Now, this is very light in what I said in something coming in the church, but what I explained before in Matthew 18 is something heavy when there's an actual sin or hurt or conflict with someone. If we can have the worship team come up. 
And we're going to conclude here. So the overarching, the gospel in conflict is, again, that we would be able to see and be able to believe that we don't have it together, that we sin and we fall short and we miss the mark. The second part is that God has got to do something on our behalf in that situation. You as the person may be going as the offended and maybe with a clearer view and that person not even knowing how they are wrong or they've sinned or they've done something wrong, we need God to reveal. We need us to go leaning and resting in God showing up in that situation. Any of you that ever do counsel or encourage your brothers or help others and talk to them about things, it is never from a place of, I know what's going on, I've got this, I'm going to show them. Never. That's the wrong desire. That's wrong from the beginning. It's God help me. Yeah, you may have studied on it. You may have learned. You may have, you know, gone through experiences. Yes, you got that part. Yes, I understand that part. But the part about you depending on Christ, us depending on him to do what we cannot do for ourselves is what we need. So the sin that we have all been born with is against God. And the conflict, this conflict brought separation and death. The only way to overcome this conflict was for God to do for us what we could not do. He had to pay for the penalty of that conflict, death on a cross, and then rise on the third day, conquering death. In what God has done, we receive forgiveness, right standing with God, and there is no more conflict. And this is the plan that he has for all of us. In John chapter 17, there is a high priestly prayer that Jesus prays. Now, this is Jesus praying. Like, if there was someone that didn't need to pray, it was Jesus, but Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying, and he prays for th uh, one thing three times. He repeats it three times, and he's praying to the Father, and guess what he's praying for? Unity. For the, us to be one. And he goes to the point of saying that those that do not know Christ might come to know him and see that the reality of this unity that Jesus and the Father have is the same reality that we have with Jesus and we have with God. Unity. And that's what the gospel, what the effect of the gospel big picture is that we are united with God again and there's no one, not nothing, that could ever separate us from that unity with God ever. Romans says there's neither death nor life, Right? nor peril, nor sword, nor riches, nor nakedness, nothing, not, not things above, not things below, nothing would ever separate us from the love of God. Isaiah 535, uh, 53.5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. We're about to take of the Lord's Supper, and when it comes to the Lord's Supper, we're going to see the bread. And this bread that is broken, and that's what Isaiah is saying, is he was crushed for our iniquities. And that he was chastised. And then by his stripes we are healed. Not alone was he crushed, but he was tortured. And his blood dripped. And that is the, the, the juice or the wine that we take Jesus says, drink this in remembering that my blood, my actual blood, 
stripped for you, shed for you. He not only dies for us, but he also gives us faith to believe that he died for our sins. Apart from Christ working, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Apart from God giving us this faith, he says, because it's not ourselves, not of ourselves, it was a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Apart from God making it possible for us to believe, there's no way we would ever be saved. We would even have the ability to believe what we're hearing right now, the gospel. There'd be no way for us to partake in the, in, in the Lord's Supper. No way, apart from God doing it. And I want you to know that the, that is the gospel, that what God did for us, and it works for everything in our lives. It works in every area of our lives. When you get in your car and you leave today, you think it's simple, you think it's average, you think it's just a normal everyday thing, apart from God allowing you to get in your car and to drive down that road and to get wherever you're going to get, it's impossible. When you're about to go to work tomorrow and you're about to address some of those issues and those challenges and obtain certain things and, and find out things and organize things and fix things and, and serve people and, and do whatever it is that you do, uh, if you go with understanding that, God, I need you to show up this morning and to do for me what I cannot do for myself, and I need to know that within myself, everything that I know and understand has come from you, and there's so much to come later if I just am able to believe, if you could give me this faith and give me this wisdom. God says, any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and God will give it generously. That's what James says, knowing that everything, every action that we take, every, every, every goal we are able to accomplish, every uh, new idea, every invention, every accomplishment is all Jesus. And every time we take credit for it or thinking we're doing it, we carry the weight of we've done it and we've got to keep it going. That's what God came to set us free from, set us free from ourselves, set us free from our, I have to do this, I need to do this, which is the law. He came to give us freedom, new life, grace, and rest for our souls. So Isaiah says, I mean Ephesians says, it's a gift of God. John 6, 4 says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There ain't nobody in any church anywhere that is a good person that came to God somehow, some way, they had something to do with it. I don't care how shiny, nice, orderly, obedient, cool, awesome, great, giving, self-sacrificing, miracle-doing, wonder-speaking person it is. I don't care. I don't care if they have never had, you know, sex before marriage. I don't care if they've never, uh, you know, done a drug or, or addicted to something. Or I don't care. I don't care if all their kids are believers. I don't care if, if they're all are missionaries. I don't care if they're pastors. I don't care if they, they're able to do whatever it is they did. Only way they came to God is because the Father drew them. And if they don't believe that, they believe a lie. And it's not the gospel. It's not the truth. So as we're here, as we're here this morning, as we come to this table, I want you to leave understanding that when it comes to conflict, left unchecked, 
through the gospel and believing the same things we believe, how we came to Christ through the gospel, that God draws us, that God draws us into these conflicts for him to do something for us that we cannot do. And that if it's not accomplished the way we want it and the results aren't the way we need to have it, that God is still at work because he's the only one that can take something broken and messed up, just like what the gospel says, messed up, sinful, dead, and make it alive again and make it new. We've got to be able to ask God and say, please help me to forgive. Help me to believe this. So as we take of the Lord's Supper, and if you have put your faith that God has forgiven you of all of your sins and that he's doing for you what you can't do for yourself. Now I want you to know the big, one of the biggest conflicts to this is someone's pain. It's what someone did to them or something they've done to someone else. I have a much easier time with people and what they've done to me. That is easier for me to forgive but for me to deal with what I've done to others is hard. And I think that I'm bigger than God and that God can't forgive it and, and that, that I must be some good person because I didn't think I could do something so bad. That's a conflict. That's what gets in the way. But I want you to know that God forgives all sins. Not because of what we've done. Not because we deserve it. But the exact opposite is because he loves you. We don't deserve it because of what he done. So if you believe that, feel free to come up and take of the Lord's Supper. If you have not come to that place, but you're starting to or you want to, please come up to one of us and let us pray with you. We would love for you to join in if you've come to believe that for the first time in your life today. That's God working in you, even having the desire, even uh, uh, just a slight inclination like, hey, maybe God could forgive me. Maybe he did die for me. Maybe he can save me. Maybe this is true. You could not think that on your own. I believe that's God working in you. I'm not a judge, but God knows. And with that, let us believe. Let us just Walk out here knowing that God is working and Philippians says that he's going to continue to do this. He's doing this. And, and it's crazy because we're going to do something natural, right? Take this physical element. But even within the physical element that Jesus promised, something spiritual is happening here today. You came in and you drove your car physically to this place and you gather with other physical, natural, everyday beings and spiritual, but anyways, physical beings and you, got, you sat in these physical chairs. God is doing something supernatural today. And that's why he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's something holy and mysterious and miraculous that happens every Sunday, every time you gather, every time this word is being spoken through a fullest fleshly individual something is happening and we can believe that and you know why because you're here we can see it because God is graceful he's doing it he gathers his church he leads his church he feeds his people and he's going to do it again as we partake would you allow God to minister to you through the Lord's Supper